On today's podcast, Tales from the Couch is back. Deep dive on Cleveland's win in overtime at Philadelphia. An all-time shootout with the Pacers and Hawks. Do a little on that. The Magic Minute. We've got Chris Long talking football. Big picture thoughts after Philadelphia's win against Kansas City. Some coaching stuff in there as well. And life advice. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older, 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. $5 doesn't get you what it used to get you. I asked for change the other day. The guy gave me back four. Introducing Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps. In your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. Ever heard of it? You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. I want to start with a little Tales from the Couch. Uh, very locked into Cleveland, Philadelphia, so that's the main game that I'm going to focus on. I'll give you a couple nuggets on that Pacers comeback against the Hawks. So if you look at it coming in, let's look at Cleveland's lineup. Uh, they're just having issues getting any of these guys, or at least all five of them on the floor at the same time. It rarely happens for them. Garland's missed five games. Mitchell was out last night. He's missed four games. He has the hamstring thing now. Coro's missed eight. Jared Allen's missed five. So they just haven't had that group together for a long time. And that's why there's just certain teams. Like, I don't care what Phoenix's record is. I care what it looks like when all those guys are playing. I don't care what Denver's record is going to be right now because it's not going to be as good without Murray. So there's, there's going to be teams maybe 25 games in. We start looking at the record, and you'll say, hey, what's wrong with them? And you're just going to like go back and look at, at who they've had. And so Cleveland's stats aren't nearly as good as they were last year. They're 21st in offense, 13th in defense. Philly's third in offense. Uh, 11th in defense. So, you know, there's Cleveland last year, statistically the best defense. So you could say it's a big step back. Maybe it's going to be a little bit different. But the point is, is like, it, it may not really, well, at least it doesn't matter to me until all the guys are consistently playing together. Let's start at the fourth quarter 88 79 Cavs up. Uh, they were up even bigger earlier in this one. Embiid starts on the bench. Maxi starts with that next unit. Uh, the same thing they do at the start of the second quarter to carry him over. Cleveland, whoa, man, when I was looking at it, I was like, these are the five that are out there. It's Dean Wade, Max Struess, uh, Jared Allen, George Niang, and uh, Craig Porter Jr. May not have heard of him, but he actually played well. Uh, he had he had a big moment that we'll get to later, um, but he's kind of a nice player in the way that you would watch him go. And I think that guy's actually going to play in the league a long time, even though most of us would not know who he is. Some notes on Struess here. 14 games with Cleveland now. He's playing 36 minutes a game. That's a career high. That's about an eight, 
minute jump, seven minute jump from where he was last season with Miami, where he primarily came off the bench, depending on injury stuff, though. And so the traditional numbers are up. He's 15 points. Uh, he's getting you six boards, which is almost double what he did with Miami. And he's getting you double the assists with uh, four a game. The shooting numbers so far, pretty good. Kind of what you'd expect. He was 41%, 35% last two years with Miami's 37% this year with Cleveland. The metrics are okay. There is a bit of a bump there for Miami. The metrics don't love Max Struess. But the reality is that post-Miami with a kind of player like him, I'm like, I wonder if there's going to be this post-Miami drop-off. Uh, not the case. And they desperately needed him last night with Mitchell out. So there was... The Garland issue where he was out at the start of the fourth, they had to figure out a way to try to save his minutes somewhat because he's such a big part of the offense when Garland, or excuse me, when Mitchell's out of the game. But it looked like he hurt his right hand bad. Like he clearly hurt it because then when he hurt at the end of the third quarter, he tried to bring the ball up, but he didn't even want to get into his right hand. Then he made a mistake. Uh, some notes on Maxi here. He gets wherever he wants. I know you already know this, but when you watch it play out of the course of a game and you think of some of the great scores in this league and you know, us, all of us readjusting what the ceiling is for Tyrese Maxey. When you can get to the floor wherever you want, whenever you want, like he can, it may be the most valuable skill you can have on a basketball floor. Like I know shooting is great, but if you're a completely dependent scoring player, meaning somebody else has to get you into your shooting rhythm or you're just there to provide space because of a corner, but on top of everything else, Maxey can shoot. So it's a really, really dangerous combination for not the biggest guy, but when he decides and he has an angle and then the way he changes up to finish and the release at the rim, it's it's brutal. There's there's really not much that you can do with him. Uh, oddly enough, it looked like Cleveland was actually defending Maxi with Dean Wade. At first, I just figured, okay, maybe this is a transition pickup thing. Maybe it's you know a, a mix-up. I mean, it happens over the course of the game, but it looked like uh, Cleveland actually wanted to have Dean Wade on him. And... One time it was after a make, and so I kind of realized, I was like, I think this might be the assignment. Then I saw it a little bit later, too. So, you know, you add that into everything else. Struess was on him more because they didn't want to have Garland with that kind of burden. 8-18, Embiid comes in, the leading scorer in the NBA today. Uh, He immediately gets Mobley's fourth foul. Mobley got in foul trouble immediately in this game. He had two quick ones. Um, And it was the raise the arms right into him. You're like, okay. Uh, 97-90, Embiid gets Dean Wade on the Trey Young drive, where that's where you just drive with no intention of making the shot whatsoever, and you drive into the body and throw the ball up. And it's like, I can't stand what Trey Young gets it. I was like, now Embiid's getting this call too. So when you're watching Cleveland on offense as Philadelphia's chipping away at this lead with incredible defense and also scoring, I think, at 1.9 of 11 points from the free throw line, Cleveland had a, uh, just a real problem because Garland's – trying to be the only really the only guy that can unlock anything happening for him offensively i mean as i was watching this i'm like how is cleveland going to win this game so other than Struess, there really wasn't anyone you can run a play for um i am monitoring the jared allen hand situation i don't know if we have an eight and go bear deal here but he had some real fumbles there late and especially if you're going to double garland and then you're going to throw it to allen and then allen has to make a decision where he still can make some good decisions and overall stats were terrific last night like 20 and 13 but there were enough plays in there where it was alarming where he was deep in the paint on the catch and it was just kind of chaotic uh i don't again i don't think it's as bad as eight and gobert but like i said it will be monitoring this and then as far as mobley you know when you're struggling offensively to to just get a good possession in there 
and Mobley's either just standing in the corner, but then you don't want to bring too much attention into the paint by having some weird hybrid 80s, you know, two guys on the block. I mean, that doesn't even happen anymore. I'm not saying it should, but you can't really run a play for Mobley where the play is with him ending in an offensive decision. And despite, you know, look, he put up some numbers last night too. And what I'm focusing on here as I'm recapping the fourth and overtime is dismissing, you know, a lot of the good offensive stuff that Cleveland did in the beginning and where the box score shows you, you're like, well, how bad of a game could he have had? Like those numbers are pretty good. But when it came down to kind of those crunch time moments and you're watching this, you're like, Garland's really stuck here because there's just other dudes. Dean Wade's out there for spacing in theory, uh, but he's let's see, 31% from three on the season. He's 36 for his career, so whatever. He was 0-4 last night, didn't make any threes. And then Mobley's just kind of hovering. Now, they did change that later in overtime, which I'll get to. So Embiid's defense was incredible uh, late in this game. It also took a toll on him, I thought, a little bit later. It's just asking him to do a lot of things, and whether it was him actually getting the block or completely altering someone's confidence as they get close to the rim it was a real issue for Cleveland, and Embiid deserves a ton of credit for that. Let's talk a bit about these two Maxi plays against Max Struess and transition. One turns into a flagrant because Maxi was smart enough to stay on the floor long enough. So, of course, they do it. The ref's like, if you stay on the floor, they're like, all right, we better review this. I didn't love that it was a flagrant. I didn't think that Struess was actually waving his arms down to like really get Maxi, especially with the way he landed on the whole deal. But there's essentially no way you can win. And don't worry, I've got a couple minutes on this later. Where if Maxi is just going to go right into you, and I mean this for the league in general, if, if the player is just going to go right into you as you're like, the refs are getting to a point where it's, you might as well just be better off getting out of the way. All right. So let's put that in our pockets collectively here before I go back to that one. So Maxi gets Struce twice with that. Um, there was a goaltend on another one that ended up being an and one. Uh, it's 104-103. Then at 108-108, I'm looking at Pat Bev, and I, I wrote down, what does Pat Bev do? I know that seems harsh. When he has the ball, there's no real advancement of anything. Like, I'm not talking about bringing the ball up from left to right. I'm talking about, like, when he has the ball, and then he then he passes like, what are those passes? It's usually just, I'm bringing the ball up. Now you start what we're doing. And he doesn't seem to want to shoot at all uh, right now. He's shooting 11% from three. That's obviously going to change. He was 34%, I believe, last year. Um, he had a couple great plays. One at the very end of regulation that was clearly very important, where Mobley got him really deep, almost underneath the rim, and then Mobley on the catch Pat Bev pulled the chair from underneath him. Really smart defensive play. Also speaks a little bit to Mobley. Like, hey, man. Um, then there was another play where he set an incredible screen on Mobley at the free throw line. Like, really got his elbows right into his hip and pinned him. And it got Harris free. But then Mobley did something even more amazing than the screen where he recovered to actually block the shot, which seemed like there was no chance that that was going to happen. So... As I'm sitting there, I'm kind of going like maybe a little bit more Jaden Springer or at least comes in. Maybe it's a little erratic, but it's a ton of energy and you spent the pick on the guy. But then at the end of regulation, he gets the offensive rebound. He doesn't even seem like he wants the ball, gets it out, gets it back, doesn't look like he's going to shoot it, then makes the runner, makes it 110, 108. Uh, 
So that is what Pat Bev still is capable of doing. The play on Mobley, um, an incredible screen there, and then fights for the offensive rebound in a huge, huge spot and then hits the floater. But I would say long-term, the 20-plus minutes from Pat Bev, there's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't really seem like it's it's doing anything. So again, monitoring. He did foul Garland. Uh, that was a questionable play. It looked like Garland initiated a lot of that contact. He hits the free throws, unlike the Celtics. Uh, one ten apiece, and we head into overtime. Mobley took one field goal attempt in the fourth quarter. Uh, he's averaging 3.3 field goal attempts in the fourth because I was looking at that, which is actually second on the Cavs behind Mitchell. Um, and there was another play that we'll get to here, Embiid defensively, which continued the the issues that I was having with Mobley. Mobley, they actually changed things they were doing. I like that Bickerstaff tried to change the way they looked at the start of some of their possessions. He was actually bringing the ball up and handling it off. Uh, there was even a play where he brought it up and then got it to Struess, set the screen for Struess, then an incredible cut. Struess hits him, but then it's an air ball layup against Embiid. It was all because Embiid was in front of him. Like he freaked, and he's a couple feet away from the rim, air ball. Uh, the next side, though, or excuse me, the next play, they ran the same play on the other side where Mobley is working with Struess, gets it to him. So Mobley was more like involved like, as a ball handler um, but it was at least a different look than just Garland trying to probe the entire time, hoping somebody else could hit a shot if he couldn't get clear. So they ran that one, and this is where Mobley's terrific because his passing has always been incredible, even going back to the year at SC where I was like, God, this guy makes some incredible passes. And then Allen's coming from the other side. He gets the dunk. It's 114-112 Cleveland. Both teams looked exhausted. And then at 116 apiece, Craig Porter of all people who got subbed in for Wade Good substitution there. Goes right at Embiid for the layup. Makes it 118-116. Tobias Harris hits a three. Sixers are up one. And then Porter Jr. again off a Cleveland offensive rebound. He has the ball. The shot clock is lower. He's totally calm. Drives into the paint. Is looking at Embiid. Embiid's in a tough spot because he's playing kind of the penetration, but then also has to worry about Allen in the baseline. He makes the... Uh, Porter passes it to Allen, perfect assist. And again, like just really calm, and they go up a point there. Um, on the other end, Maxi misses the close layup. Embiid got called for his sixth. The foul was totally on Pat Bev, so maybe that would have changed the last possession there. Um, and that's your final score. This is going to be a bit of a rant. Uh, this isn't specifically about Maxi. It's not specifically about the Embiid initiating contact. This is the game I was most focused on. Um, you've heard my rants on Trey Young. I don't need to do it a million times. And it's weird because as I see Maxi succeed like this, and one of the big like no-nos with NBA teams is as great as a small guard is, they feel like small guards are going to hurt you in the playoffs because they're going to get hunted more. They're going to get screened to death. They're just going to be, they're going to be issues you're going to have defensively if you're trying to live with a really small guard. However, in the regular season, with the way these games are officiated now, I almost wonder if you're prepping for the draft, if you should go, well, look, I can live with a small guard if he has this kind of scoring capabilities because they're going to give him every fucking call now. I don't know why the refs do this. And I'm, I'm not a complaint about the ref guy. I'd like to think I'm not like sitting around all day Sunday watching the NFL just bitching about flags. It's pointless to me. But I'm talking about the evolution of the game. I'm talking about where the game is going at certain times where I'm like, why 
is this being rewarded? Because the problem is when the players are rewarded and it's not their fault, they're going to keep doing it over and over again. The coaching staffs are going to say, hey, the refs give you this call. Their personal trainers are going to say, hey, keep doing this stuff. And all that refs have to do is get together collectively and say, stop rewarding this stuff. When Maxi goes right at Struess, as Struess is backpedaling in transition, he's not reaching. He's not trying. There was one play where he had his right hand, I think, on his shoulder. But for the general like purpose of my, my diatribe here, it's... It's unbelievable to me that the league lets elements of the game evolve into what isn't fun to watch and makes it fucking pointless even playing defense. And when we had Monty on, there were certain things. I'm like, hey, how come How come this or how come that? And like, look, he's not going to tell me, yeah, everybody's doing a bad job. But it's this is bad. It's bad for everybody. It has nothing to do with the team. It has nothing to do with the player. It's just... It's bullshit. And I have moments when I watch these games, and again, it's kind of fresh because we're like 15 games into it, and as much as I love the league, I go, this, this is impossible. Like, I looked at it this morning. There's 42 players averaging 20 points per game right now in the NBA. 10 years ago, it was 11. Now, it's early. Guys that look fresh now will not be fresh later. That number will go down a little bit. There's 34 players attempting five free throw attempts per game right now 10 years ago it was 17 now you can find i just did 10 and then 20 whatever go back to another year some of those numbers are going to be going up but like 42 players averaging 20 a game and 10 years ago at being 11 like that's a thing the shooters are better than ever before the offense is better than ever before you know so the shot making the talent we've covered all of this it's never been better so this isn't oh the 90s are awesome because there's a hard foul video from the pistons but if the guys are this good on top of all you have to do is initiate the contact every time and you're going to get rewarded, I don't know how you're supposed to play defense, especially in some of the transition stuff. You can't reward the offensive player every time he initiates the contact. And that's where we're headed. And I'm just telling you, you got to get in front of this because there's certain games you're like, this is pointless. Rant over. Let's talk uh, a game that looked like everybody got a call, but honestly, everybody made the shots. If you watched Pacers Atlanta last night, 157-152, you know it was actually awesome. It was fun. It wasn't some all-star. It was an all-star score, but it wasn't all-star ever. Everybody literally just made everything. <laughs> Atlanta had 86 in the first half. Atlanta's offense is fourth in the league. The Pacers are number one. Defensive numbers, not that great this morning. Atlanta's 24th. The Pacers are 29th. Atlanta was up 20 in the first half. Halliburton goes for 26 in the third. They closed the game. It was almost like, uh, you know, Quinn looked at Carlisle and said, you just want to play all the small guys like a halftime event for youth basketball? Let's do it. Halliburton at one point, Atlanta tried to double them. Then you get the best, well, not the best, but one of the best, like, this is why it's always funny. He's like, how come you don't double him? How come you don't double him? All right, go ahead. Double Halliburton. Guess what he's going to do? He's tall enough, especially with him, too. It's not like you're doubling Trey. You're doubling Halliburton. He just dumps it down to Bruce Brown. Now it's four on three in the backside. You have two defenders 30 feet away from the basket. Hand off to Obi Top and dunk. I'm like, all right, don't want to do that again. Um, Halliburton at one point was looking for, for Trey. And then the other end, it felt like everybody from Atlanta was looking for Buddy Heald. Trey Young hit an incredible three. And then DeJounte brought it down and he had healed. And I almost felt like Trey was looking at him being like, I'm kind of hot right now. Can I have the ball back? And then Murray just drove it healed and made a ridiculous layup. And then you think, well, you can't even be mad at anybody for taking a shot because they're all going in. It was really 
like a high level offensive game as far as the shot making. Um, Halliburton got Trey up 155, 152. He was going to have to take the shot. Atlanta needed to stop. He hunts Trey, and Trey got him. Trey got the ball away from him. Atlanta doesn't get it done on the other side. Pacers get the defensive stop barely. Let's take a look real quickly, though, at who Halliburton has been this season. And I know you already know this if you're paying attention to it. But when he was coming out of Iowa State, my favorite thing about him was he sees stuff on the floor. When I watch him in college, in a college game, you're like, he sees stuff that the other nine guys have no idea what's even happening. But you're like, I wonder if he's going to be this good of a shooter. And I mean specifically as like a lead scorer. Because with a shot, I always wonder, does he need a little bit more of a runway to get into the shot? And there are still t- times where I'll be like, maybe, maybe I'm seeing that. But for the most part, that's not really the case. He's at 52% overall on 16 shots. So it's 25 a game. It's not like he's taking a million shots here. He's 46% from three. He has been over 40 every year of his career. So whatever concerns I had about like how clear does he need to be off the dribble to get these shots off, it just doesn't matter. And it was definitely something I think was at least fair to look at when he was in college. 41% from three, 41, 42, 40, and again, 46. I don't know if he's going to keep that up. Um, and then you throw in the 12 assists a game. He is remarkable. They're the best offense. I don't know how serious we take them defensively. Okay, this leads us in perfectly to the angriest guy on the NBA last night, Jalen Suggs for the Orlando Magic in a Toronto matchup. Orlando got out early. They are huge. The defensive numbers are really good. Let's do a little Magic Minute with Saruti. Let's go. Uh, Ryan, I... You know that I've been for the last couple of years. Like I've just kind of I haven't given up on Jalen Suggs. Also didn't give up on Jonathan Isaac, by the way. And that's uh it's looking pretty good right now. Shout out to the Minister of Defense. But specifically Jalen Suggs, because people like year one, even last year, just clowning on this guy, being like, Wow, the magic really blew this pick. And I kept watching games just being like, I think he's good though. Like I know the stats, I know the shooting's not great, but I just watch him play basketball. And he does a lot of like winning things. Like he makes incredible, incredibly great hustle plays. He knows where to be at the right time. And yeah, do I wish that he was, you know, he was shooting a little bit better from three? Yeah. But this season, he is an absolute man possessed. So I'll get to that in a second. But I just want to say right now, because we're going to do a magic minute, it's going to go a little bit longer than a minute. So apologies to people who don't care. But I think people should care because they're nine and five. They're a legitimately good basketball team. And I'm kind of one of those guys who's a pessimistic fan for my own teams. I typically am like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not afraid to bet against my own teams for sure. I've done it plenty of times. But I think I'm wondering if we have to reassess what this year for the Magic, like what the goals are, what they could realistically be in the East. Because before the season, I'm telling you, all right, I think it's, you know, playing would be great. You know, could they potentially sneak into the 60? That'd be an incredible, incredible season. And now that I look at it and I look at how nasty they are on defense and how even without two starters, by the way, Fultz and, and, and Wendell Carter have been out for a significant amount of time. Like this team is good. I think they're a legitimately good team in the East. So you look at it and you go, all right, they're not better than Boston. They're not better than Milwaukee. Um, they're not better than Philly. But then there's that next group of teams, and I'll say, all right, they're not they're not going to be better than Miami in the playoffs. Uh, there's the Cavs, there's the Knicks, there's the Hawks. Are any of those teams significantly better than the Magic? You know, I, and, and again, we're you know what, 13, 14 games into the season. I'm kind of talking myself into, like, is the playing actually not enough of a goal this season? You know, before the year, I'd have been like, all right, yeah, they're probably a shooter and a year away from really being like a, a firm playoff team in the East, but. I kind of wonder if they can be that now. Again, number one defensive rating in the NBA. Jalen Suggs is like a hurricane on defense. He right now would be a first-team all defensive player. Um, 
I, I just think this team, Paolo's been playing incredible after a weird start. Franz not shooting well, but he's still second in defensive rating behind Jason Tatum. I think I'm wondering if I have to rethink what the ceiling for this team is this year, Ryan. Am I am I being too much of a homer? You know me. I'm not usually a homer. I'm actually very realistic and pessimistic about most of my teams. But I think they're actually kind of a good team in the East, like a really good. They're not in that elite one, two, three, four tier, but they could, could they be the five or the six seed? Yeah, I think they could. Okay, uh, I'm with you on this one because I've watched them enough where I think even some of the early season struggles are all baked into that fourth quarter. Like, I was looking at their offensive efficiency in the fourth quarter this morning. It's 29th. I was surprised Bad. it was that high. Yeah, <laughs> stop, right? I, I thought it'd be lower. <laughs> uh, but it felt just clunky. I don't know that it was, oh, they have this massive problem. Like, even, you know, in the, the massive open on Cleveland, like, you could just see late in the game, like, I don't know where the offense is going to come from here. And that's why I'm kind of shocked they won that game. Where when Orlando gets stagnant, I think it's still some of the newness of the pieces and like how does everybody kind of fit in here where I think the best thing you can have is Paolo initiating most of the offense, but it's just not going to happen with all the guards. I think Cole's done a good job of accepting Cole's kind of great. where he is, you know, because with Cole before, I used to always go, this guy's going to take the shot here. Like he's going to want to hit the big shot and he's going to ignore everybody else. And I think he's readjusted that, but they're huge. You know, I think about what Oklahoma City has built which is one of my favorite teams to watch and how seamlessly every piece in the roster seems to fit in with each other. But, you know, as I was told by another team, they're like, what Presti's trying to do is get all of these decision makers on the floor at the same time. And if they're also really long, that's a plus. It's the Usman Jang draft pick. Like, mm -hmm. he may not be anything, but you, when you were like, okay, he fits the profile of what he's trying to do. And then Chet's added in to all these really good on-ball decision makers that also can score a little bit. Orlando feels a little bit like that. Um, they're bigger. I mean... They're bigger. There, there's not <laughs> as much offensive like tempo. Like Franz can make the decisions. Paolo certainly can. Anthony Black kind of fits that mold a little bit. You know, Wendell, I actually trust a lot. Um, you know, you're not going to be setting up your offense and running it through him. The entire time Cole's going to break it down a little bit more and if Suggs keeps himself at 35 percent with his defense and he was like furious last night it was really Dude, funny I, I had a guy tweet me being like is he used does he usually play like this or is this just like something <laughs> he was it, he's usually insane but last night I don't know I maybe it was because I mean, he's probably heard a lot of the chatter coming from Toronto about how because weirdly again and I, don't, I, I, I like Scotty Barnes like I don't have anything against the Raptors team um but weirdly like Raptors fans have been they love to chirp about the, that draft class, like whether or not the Magic screwed up the Jalen pick or the Franz pick. And I think there's like a little bit of insecurity there. I think everybody was happy. Both teams were happy with how those drafts turned out. But I wonder if there was like a little added thing there to be like, wow, like, you know, the Raptors were supposed to take Jalen Suggs in that draft. They kind of didn't surprise everybody took Scotty Barnes. And, you know, he was kind of getting shit on for the first couple years of his career because he didn't really have it figured out, certainly on offense. And uh, man, he came out like just possessed last night. Early, he had a the sequence early in the game where he hits a, he hits, he knocks down a three, and then he makes a diving steal that gets deflected to Paulo. Paulo takes it, passes out, kicks it out on the fast break to to Franz for a wide open three. That just sums up Jalen Suggs in in one sequence of you know thirty seconds of basketball. He's just a menace. And uh, so I don't know. Yeah. I, he, How about the touchdown pass? Was a quarterback yeah. in high school? You could argue he would be shout out to Steven Ruiz. He might be able to make Steven Ruiz's top, uh, you know, top quarterback rankings with some of the quarterbacks that are being trotted out like uh, Tim Boyle this weekend. But I, I just love watching that guy play. And the other thing I'll, I'll say about about Paulo, he had kind of a weird start to the season. 
But last 10 games, he's at 22 points a game, seven rebounds, 4.3 assists, shooting 50% for the field and nearly 47% from three. He's, he's incredible. And he's been better defensively as well. And, you know, I know notoriously I was a, I think the Magic should take Chet in the draft guy. I still am not selling any of my Chet stock. I think Chet could potentially be better than Paolo eventually. But I think, I think what we could clearly see is both those guys went to the right team. You know, the Magic needed a guy like Paolo probably more than they needed a guy like Chet. And Chet is a perfect fit in OKC. So again, it's one of those draft things where I think everybody's happy. To summarize, though, I don't think it's crazy to wonder if Orlando can get into that top six. You know, Milwaukee with all their defensive stuff, like if you haven't checked the standings here in a while, they're 10 and four. They've won five in a row. You know, if you want to start playing the point differential stuff, um, Philly's point differential is far better than Milwaukee's, but they lose last night. I guess they lose the tiebreaker, both 10 and four. Miami, after a rough start, has been really good. Um, the point differential is lower than that. You know, whatever, it's 14 games in. I'm not going to get super worked up about the point differential at this point because you also have the added part of with the in-season tournament games, which I think are going to be even better moving forward because now when you're watching these games and then you'll see the final product of it this season, then you'll think differently about the in-season tournament games next season. Like once you know what the ending yep. is, you're going to go, oh, okay. And I think the intensity in some of these games has been really good with it too. But then when you factor in point differential in the standings and all that kind of stuff, I don't know, maybe point differential, I don't know if it'll be more valuable, less valuable, all this stuff. But Orlando has a pretty good one. Uh, despite the I mean, beginning of the year, watching them just clog up so much offensively in the fourth quarter, I was like, what is going on? But I didn't, Celtics, I didn't think it was like, un, I didn't think it was unfixable was my point. Magic Celtics Friday is a big game. It, how many big games do we have in November in the NBA typically? The winner of that game, I mean, if the Celtics win, they're likely going to win the group. If the Magic win it, they'd need a little bit of help from the Raptors. But that, that, it's like a huge regular season game in Orlando. Like, There's going to be the intensity level in that game is going to be higher than a normal regular season game. I think, I think the in-season stuff has been fantastic. There you go. The Magic five minutes. Are we back? Was, uh... <laughs> Who knows? They'll, they'll probably go on a five-game loop. They, they play, by the way, Denver and, uh, and Boston next to you. So like... There could be a quick, you know, dose of humble pie coming here fast, but I think they just give teams fists, man. They're one, I think they're one of the top five, probably most annoying teams in the league to play. So I'll take it. Okay, done. Give thanks because FanDuel is giving all customers a no-sweat same-game parlay for Thanksgiving. Just place a three-leg same-game parlay on any of the Thanksgiving Day NFL games and you get bonus bets back if you don't win. Okay, I'm on this Niners thing. That's not a huge secret at this point. So minus seven at Seattle. I know it's on the road and all that stuff, but if I think the Niners are as good as I think they are and Seattle struggling with the Rams last week where the Rams are not exactly the same team at the beginning of the year, that's at least the way I'm going, even though I don't love the favorite stuff. I was thinking about Green Bay plus seven and a half, but what about this? What about Lions football? 1961, eight and two, we've covered already. That game, like saying it out loud, like when you're at the Thanksgiving festival, wherever you're doing your your festive thing um and you're sitting there and you're like yeah i bet the lions today it never feels good right saying that one out loud i've done it I did it in like 2001 i remember i was at something and the the girlfriend's brother-in-law was like you bet the lions you know i was like okay yep yeah, back off whatever kind of i just kind of like the number here and so what if you would have bet them let's say them minus seven and a half and then jameson williams who's Feeling like he's a bit more of the offense, which isn't saying much. I mean, he was targeted three times in the Bears game, did have the touchdown. Um, I mean, he's had games he's targeted two, three, two times. He had zero catches in the time he was targeted six times, but at least now consistently playing the last few weeks. Uh, 
what if you just did plus 100 on over 25 yards? So 25 or more yards, Lions minus seven and a half, bet 10 bucks, win $24.06. So a little something for you, but I'm I'm going to go Niners, just a straight bet. NFL same game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. Build your own or choose from one of the popular same game parlays pre-built for you in FanDuel's top rated sportsbook app. So visit FanDuel.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, to fill up your plate with parlays and player props all Thanksgiving long. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, minimum three-leg parlay requirement refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days after receipt. Max refund, $5 unless otherwise specified restrictions apply. See terms at Sportsbook.FanDuel.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock. Hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it'd been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. He joins us from the shadow realm. Chris Long, Greenlight Podcast, the Greenlight Podcast Network, Macon, Dr. Fax, who's always a good time at PGA events, Bo Allen, and potentially Ram Man from the He-Man series. How are you? I'm good, man. That was a good synopsis there. Yeah, we had fun at Waste Management. <laughs> we did. We did have Waste. Uh, so it was funny because when we had the setup with the PGA, it appeared that uh, other guests were not at the same level. They weren't on the same vibe. And they, they sized up the cruise vibe, and they were like, we're out of here immediately. That was, they were that given was eyeballs? That was noted. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I was given a bunch of passes. I was really lucky. Thanks to the PJ. And, uh, Dude, that, that thing did not disappoint. There's a lot of sporting events and like, you know, venues that you hear about and, um, it's golf. So I'm like, I'm not really into it. And it's not a bit, I'm not trying to say, Hey, I don't get golf. Like I really don't get it, but going to that thing, I'll be back next year. Will you though? Because it's Super Bowl week. That was the only reason we were there. I'm going to skip Super Bowl to go to waste <laughs> management. <laughs> Honestly, if there weren't loads of money to make it the Super Bowl, I'd be at waste management. Well, it's not a it's maybe maybe we make a day trip for it. Maybe we make yeah. it we leave Vegas, we go to waste management on a Thursday and then and then shoot back up and I'll take it to the El Cortez Hotel and Casino, voted the number 1 hotel and casino in Las Vegas. We went to Old Vegas this past week and I have to go back again. I was doing a lot of Super Bowl recon for the gang. Atomic mm. Liquors Lounge, I just right up your alley, very dark very late so smoking indoors i don't know if they had many rules there it was yeah, funny because my buddy was like hey have you guys seen an uptick with the f1 guys in town 
<laughs> no. the bartender goes, I don't think what, what's when was what's, that? We're like, now. <laughs> I love that, dude. Everybody's pretending to care about F1. Not that guy. Yeah, no, good for you. I enjoyed it. It was great. Uh, shout out again to Aston Martin. Okay, let's talk some football here. <laughs> Shit, did I fuck up something with Aston Martin? No, no, okay. I don't. No, I don't want some to. Guys hey, he like, doesn't feel that way, but I'm just not into the cars like going around and around. I'm just not. It was fun, man, and it's quick too. It's a great event, you know. Yeah. It's it's on, and there aren't a bunch of shitty fouls called for two and a half. I would hours. go. I would go. Yeah, you can't take a charge out there on the uh, <laughs> on no. the track. Nope. <laughs> um. Yeah, you'll be in. Uh, let's get you in on the next one. But yeah, they and Aston Martin invited me to have dinner and watch a race. There wasn't a car waiting for me outside. Although now I might, you know, one day if I decide to have that midlife crisis and go sports car, maybe they win for the way they treated your boy. Did All they, right. Do, would you, po- I'm sorry to, to hold up the actual go podcast, ahead. but would you, did you get a solo shot next to like an Aston Martin as I would expect you to do with like a thumbs up? No, I got a picture of myself in front of their entrance with what they call podium green. Yeah, and I'm wearing a nice uh, Brunello jacket, and there's like this green in the picture. Even for me, is a new level of awkward. So I may post it tonight with a caption that's going to be just for you. How, how about Please that? Please do, bro. Please All do. Right. Okay, sounds good. All right, we got there though. Let's talk a little football. Uh, I know you like the birds last night, and you like the under. You've been on fire a bit uh, lately as well. So a couple weeks right yeah. before the holidays too. You want to stuff the the stockings, my man. You know, <laughs> no, that's got a big good. family, growing family. I, I can see Luke and Waylon with Rolexes. Uh, the way your picks have been going. So let's let's lean back a bit though, and we realized the Chiefs looked like the better team. Um, there was a bunch of miscues, and so I like some of that analysis. Um, but I, you know, it also feels to you know football's weird this way you know you keep score for a reason and then it feels a little dismissive of philly to go well you know they weren't the better team yet they won the game on the road in those conditions do you have any definitive takeaway from that game yeah the eagles are very good and the chiefs are very good and today i've heard everything in between i was on inside the nfl today with rc and those guys and like it turned out I was like Denzel in training day at the end of the road. And I was the only guy, I, you know, like everybody was just ganging up on me. Everybody's panicking about the Chiefs. And I'm not like, I'm just not going to do that stuff. As you said, a team has to win. A team has to lose. I'm not going to take anything away from the Eagles because they took advantage of red zone turnovers or drops. Uh, and I'm not going to take anything away from the Chiefs when it comes to how dangerous they are. Because look at the way the AFC's shaken out. You want to say Chiefs are down. Well, how about the rest of the AFC? They're down too. They can fix these problems. They can catch footballs. You know, like Rasheed Rice and these guys and MVS, they can do their jobs. But, you know, for for Baltimore, Mark Andrews, maybe not walking back through that door. Uh, Cincy, Burrow, uh, you got a shit show in Buffalo. Um, Miami, O-line, you can't fix that. You know, like... So I think Kansas City still the favorite to come out of the AFC. Soft schedule down the stretch. Um, you know, the Ravens, a little bit tougher road. And if they have home field advantage, and I haven't mentioned this, in my opinion, and some people are going to be like, ah, it's a hot take or whatever. I just trust them, the defense. You know, some people are, you know, like the Ravens. Some people like the Browns. I trust this defense uh, down the stretch. I think Spags is 
one of the best at what he does. And like when you look back at that tape from the Super Bowl in the second half, go look at the coverages they ran. It's like the kitchen sink and it's all late rotation. And I know the Eagles don't like motion, you know, like they, they're kind of static pre-snap. So how this this plays out if they play again, I don't know. What are you going to see from Spags? Uh, I think the Eagles held some stuff back maybe a little bit until later in the game. I think they did did a better job of getting on edges in the run game in the second half. So in summation, it's two football teams. They're they're both great. And, you know, one team made mistakes and the other one took advantage of the mistakes. The Chiefs' second half scoring, though, is alarming. They're at just over five points per game in just the second half. It's last in the NFL. And I remember when we were doing the pod weekly years ago, you know, I'm always trying to figure out, like, how does this really work? Like, what's the stuff that we get wrong? Don't understand. How does it really work? And I'd be like, you know, halftime adjustments. And then guys like me would be like, whoever won in the second half, be like, oh, they made the right adjustments. And, like, no one has ever pointed out an adjustment, I feel like. Right. And I'd ask you, and you said something really smart. And you're like, dude, most of the adjustments are on the back end. Like, it's yeah. the back end stuff, and we're up front. And, you know, we may not even really know what they're doing back there mm-hmm. um, because they're all kind of meeting with groups. And so, you know, correct me if any of that is wrong there. Is there mm-hmm. anything, this is kind of asking you, and I don't know how much film work you've done on it. Is it Kansas City being figured out in second halves? Is it, is it just a run of bad luck? Because I would say this about the Chiefs. And look, there's teams I like better than maybe Kansas City. Totally agree with you on the defense. But when it comes playoff time, I'm going to have a really hard time picking against Mahomes for like the next that's 10 the years. Point. It's just the way. Right. It's, that's just the way I feel about him. But his late scrambles on the dropbacks, I don't know how sustainable that is, even though we're more than halfway through the season. And it's a major weapon. He doesn't want to do it. But when he does it, it's successful. But it also means the rest of the stuff is kind of broken. And I don't know if in the second half, you know, that becomes something harder to sustain. And of course, I don't care who you are. You're always waiting for that kill shot. I don't know if it's the, they're not as lethal with the short game stuff, you know, uh, not just like at the sticks on third and three, like some design rollout. But like, I think the big thing is, you know, in the first half teams are like, oh, we can cover these guys. Like they are just guys and, you know, money down. We got to take away Travis Kelsey. It sounds simple, but in the second half, that's what Sean Desai did. Like every money down, third down, there were bodies converging on him, including the MBS drop where somebody's like in a robber up top and he's looking for work and you got three guys on Kelsey. So I think for them, it's not being able to take advantage of some of the voids that are created by Travis Kelsey. You know, it's simple shit like, hey, don't drop the ball, right? Um, I think their run game is their personnel up front still very, they're built big, they're built powerful. They can, they can, uh, they can move people. I don't have a problem with the physicality of the unit. I kind of wonder as I'm talking, you know, thinking it through the enemy being gone, what was his responsibility at halftime? I'd be curious to know that, you know, not to like, not to speculate here, but you know, we're, we're just, working this mystery out. Um, I think the, the the teams that gave the Eagles the most problems over the last calendar year were the Commanders and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And, you know, like, who's the common thread there? So, you know, as it pertains to this matchup, I can't help but notice that. Andy Reid's the GOAT, man. Like, he's one of the GOATs. He, he had two weeks 
to scheme up some of that that motion where you know dudes are running in and then they're running out and guys don't know what the fuck to do and it happened in the Super Bowl twice he had eight months to to throw in a zone look behind the man coverage uh, in that touchdown in the back of the end zone uh, on Monday night and the script's great the run plays they're they're gashing them but where's the adjustments right and I don't know the answer to that but if I had to speculate maybe it's something missing with Eric because last year they had a bunch of guys outside. Like, that's the thing. When people say, hey, Kansas City can't win with these guys, if they're catching the ball, they can. You know, and drops don't have to be an Achilles heel. Um, you know, we the Eagles were top five in drops last year. They got the Super Bowl. I think they'll be there for the reasons that we mentioned. Tiebreaker over Miami, soft schedule, home field. But yeah, this stuff is troubling. The second half is troubling for sure. I'd push back, though, because if we're talking about points in the second half based on scheme adjustments from one year to the next or one part of the season to the next, then why are they down there to fumble the ball? You know, then why are they down there? Um, MVS catches that ball. They win the game. What are we talking about at that point? You know, we're like, oh, we're kind of worried about it. But that hasn't that the scheme got that look open, you know, like, so I don't know. I can't put it all on the scheme. I think some of it's just execution. And I think some of it's is just going on a run and catching the ball, you know? Yeah, I would agree with you. I was just kind of going through the contenders and thinking of the fatal flaws, and, you know, some are more serious than others, and we'll get to Detroit's defense here in a second. And I mentioned just the guys. Like, I like Rasheed Rice. Like, I like what I think he could be. He needs the ball more. Right. The, there's, just, there's just a lot of other guys in that group, and it has been, and they've cycled through them. And Tony's always kind of like this – high wire act and you're not quite sure what to get out of that He's a tease. Um, and look last year i think the you know as much as we're speculating on the whole thing i think it'd be more unfair to not mention the enemy not being there because if you look yeah. at their second half scoring last year they were third in the nfl behind dallas and minnesota exactly third, 13 and a half point there were eight points off of where they were in the second half from last year all right let's stay on the contender well, stuff here let me right, let me going. ask you this you got guys there with you um maybe these guys can look it up and see how has Kansas City performed in the screen game? Because the commanders for We're not going to have that. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I don't know. But I, I, that would be one canary in the coal mine that would match up with the enemy leaving because that's something they've done really well in Washington. And I think it's a thing they got a lot out of at different points in this, this run with uh, Mahomes. I'm on it, though. I can't, I can't promise you when. I'm okay. on it maybe next week. I'll um, find out while I'm answering your damn questions. Come on, Saruti. Aiden Hutchinson, how close to being a dude is he for you? You got to define dude for me, you know? Dude is that top level, you know, we know it's Garrett, we know it's Micah, we know it's TJ. Um, and I think, look, even with with Nick Bosa maybe going off to a slower start than we'd expect this year, uh, their pass rush looks like it's back again. So that's kind of the group that I think of when I think of a dude. Yeah, so with Aiden, man, like... Um... I hate doing this because it's unfair to like bucket people, but here I go. Um, you ask, is he Miles Garrett? Is he in the TJ Watt class? Can he be there? There's nothing wrong with him not being there where he was picked even because I think if he's who he is now and plays 10 years in Detroit, you won't be sorry that you took him uh, because I think he affects the game in more ways than just rushing the passer I think he's a fringe double-digit guy, double digits, like 12 or 8 sacks a year his whole career if he's healthy, which is great return on investment. He can ru rush inside. He's a playmaker. 
which is something I wasn't. Like, that's a real thing to be able to, hey, oh, they're throwing a screen. Go just make the layup, catch the ball. You know, my screen's moving with me as I catch the screen pass. But um, he, he's legitimately, he has great football instincts. But when you're putting buckets in, I would go, it's Miles Garrett. I mean, he's an alien, right? He, you know, they're doing Calvin Johnson shit. They're resetting the formation when, when he switches sides. They're bringing multiple bodies over there. TJ Watts, like right there with, with Miles for me. Um, and then below that is like the, they're all different, but I, I like them all the same. Micah, Nick, uh, and Max. And then like right below there, I got Hunter in his own tier. Maybe he's in that tier with those other guys. And then there's this big group of Trey Hendrickson, top end of this group. There's, you know, there's Aiden, there's Josh Allen, there's Brian Burns, like really good rushers, you know, really good players. Um, so do I put him in the blue chip category like TJ or Miles? I think if you asked him, he'd say, I, st- I still got to earn that. Um, I also think he's on a defense where they don't have a lot of blue chip guys. You know, I like McNeil. They don't have lockdown corners. I like Branch a lot. Anzalone's played well. But it's not like he's on some defense where he can just do it all by himself. And, you know, where Miles Garrett, you stick him anywhere, he's going to have 15 sacks. There are contextual things that can affect his his output. Um, and he's kind of in that class. Where some guys, like, it doesn't matter. You know, like, Miles Garrett's going to get 15 sacks. TJ Watt's going to get 15 sacks. Um, but I think Aiden, if you can build that defense out, go grab another dude up front. If you want to put it that way, build a group. He'd be a great alpha on a group like that. Great answer. Like incredible answer. Uh, you actually like that answer? Are you kidding? I loved it. Cause now Do you agree with it. Like I used to look at Micah in this way where it's like, he can attack from any angle. You can put them all over the place. Like it's crazy. Um, I didn't know that you could really go wrong. And then there's games where I feel like TJ's this closer where he just wrecks it at the end. But then after that Colts game with Garrett, I was like, dude, this guy's doing stuff. That was just like the entire game. It's there crazy. was just something happening. And I'd say consistently like the old Aaron Donald peak stuff, which is, look, he's still incredible. Yeah. But if you just watch Aaron Donald for the snaps, it was worth it because you saw that it was havoc every time. And I think Garrett consistently is ruining your plans than any other defensive lineman in the league. That's it. And it's like, who are you game planning around? Um, I thought Aiden made a great play at the end of that game. Obviously, great rush. uh, And that's what they're going to need to do. Like, take the ball off people, create turnovers, because they're going to get in some of these games where they're shootouts, you know, like L.A., that type of thing. And in those games, you got to steal possessions. you got to create turnovers. And it's something I don't feel like they've had a number of those big clutch plays at the end of games on defense. This is the time of year where that stuff kicks in. Aiden's got to make more of those, right? Um, and that was great for him. He's been slumping, right? Like uh, he started real hot. The numbers have been down. But he affects the game in a lot of ways. So I was glad he got that uh, opportunity. The reason I think it's important, though, too, is is leaning on what you said there, is how many shootouts can Detroit win? They're going to have a nice seed. It's an incredible story. I mean, I was laughing out loud when I heard it was 8-2 and two for the first time since 1961. That seems impossible in pro sports that you would have that kind of 
streak of ineptitude. And we're not even talking about like winning the conference, just being eight and two. But, you know, I sit here today, I've already said what I said about Mahomes, where I, it could look real ugly and I still might pick him to win the whole thing. Uh, I believe the Niners are the best team in the NFL. And usually I wouldn't do that when I'd have Purdy in comparison to the rest of the quarterbacks. But then when I look at Detroit, I'm like, am I being dismissive or I just go, how do they win three playoff games? Like, how do they how do they put that together consistently throughout the playoffs against the better teams? Well, unless I they think, feel like Hurts, you know, unless you feel like Hurts is taking a downturn here and, you know, you line it up and go, who, which quarterbacks they actually have to beat in the NFC? It's a fair question. I think how they get there is uh, they avoid turnovers. I mean, it's a boring answer, but two out of the last three games, I thought situational football, like which they were great at down two scores, running two-minute drill twice. Like, good job. That was awesome. But you don't want to live that way. 98% chance the the Bears win. You know, that's that's what how, how they calculated uh, that whole deal. But like Detroit, bad pick in the red zone, uh, bad red zone stuff in general. Uh, Goff's had five picks the last month of the season. This is the stuff that will will keep them playing down to teams' levels. And I don't think they're good enough to do that. If they can get home field advantage, they get in the dance, you never know what happens. And, you know, so, like, I don't want to discount them. Earlier this year, I said, I don't know if they're contenders. And, you know, I, I, I put myself in their shoes, like, sitting in the locker room and somebody telling me, we're not a contender, we're eight and two. You know, so I want to give them <laughs> their props. You know, like what, exactly. What is, yeah. What is that. that like? What does it mean when I say, "Hey, they're not contenders"? Like, what the fuck does that mean? And what does the question even mean, right? Because you know, can anybody go on a run? Absolutely. But what we're saying is, things have to really fall right for them to go win two, three, four games in January and into February. By the way, the golf performance. I see it as a positive. I know you're going to say, what are you talking about? Three picks. You have to be a certain level of quarterback to get yourself out of the trouble that you got yourself into. And yeah. for Detroit to go 75 and 73 yards on those drives, you know, one's an 11 play drive. Yeah. I get the, the Bears, you know, nobody's necessarily afraid of them, but there's plenty of, it's a long list of quarterbacks. If they do that kind of damage, they're not going to get their team out of it. And the fact that he was able to do that late in the fourth quarter, I actually think is a huge positive, despite how frustrating that game was, but at least you got the win. I want to talk coordinators because I love your answers on this kind of stuff. Uh, Matt Canada out with Pittsburgh. We know Dorsey was kind of the sacrificial lamb there. Um, so my question is this, is <laughs> it, can it, like, look, I get it. A, a coordinator can do some good things for you. Um, everybody wants to blame them. You know, college, it's right. out of control. Like, if you have one season below the standard, you just move on to the next guy. Then he ends up at, like, Georgia three years later, and you're like, this guy's awesome. So how much does a coordinator really impact your highs and lows as a team? A ton. I mean, like, dude, I don't know if you saw this video today, but Boswell, I think it was last year, he's walking into the uh, locker room after the game in, in the tunnel. Have you seen this? Yeah, I did. It's unbelievable. Okay. I, mean, I like, like I I watched it because I went wait did that really happen so explain it just so for the people that are listening who haven't so seen people it, that haven't it. seen it it's like some game last year haven't been been able to look up which one but probably a game where they kicked five field goals type thing you know fifteen thirteen type win and they're walking in the 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 locker room and Canada's you know hugging somebody yucking it up and it's like good job and Boswell's five feet behind him and this is the kicker. 
He's a good kicker, but this is the kicker, and he feels comfortable enough within earshot of Canada and other people in the tunnel to say, yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but just remember, that ain't you. Like, you didn't do this. Like, people saying, good win. It ain't you, Matt, you know? And when you hear players, um, you know, Najee Harris waiting 10 seconds to answer a question about their predictability, like, that's red flag, man. You know, like, some of the things that they're kind of alluding to being dysfunctional. We know that the offense has looked terrible, but we don't know what the temperature is in the room. And I think Tomlin has done a great job, to his credit, of keeping the team like together. We've seen Pickens kind of go off in like social media bullshit, and we've had some answers from Najee. But mostly, you don't know how hot it is in that building, and I think the temperature got real hot. So not just the fact that, hey, they're trying to run swing pass you know, to the trip side on Sunday, right? You're getting more zone than you thought. But even, even if they're in zone, that slot defender shouldn't be triggering before the ball's even thrown, okay? They're motioning people, and people are running with the motion. They're, the motion is catching up to the defender who's like, yeah, this is where they motion. You know, like, there are things there where you're like, you're, you're predictable, okay? You drop back to pass at the 49-yard line in a, in, a, in a ball game where a field goal might win the thing, right? You leave Dan Moore alone on Miles Garrett. So whether it's the constant being on a different page uh, between Pickett and, and Johnson, not looking Pickens' way, giving the ball to Warren nine times in the game, like there are things that you can point to and say, hey, they, they can improve these things right away. But the untold, you know, kind of, the untold effect of this is how the vibe improves and it can absolutely improve vibe in a locker room. I think things are going to be better this weekend, but I kind of worry about the game. I really do. Cause you know, like you don't think this Browning guy can get the ball out to his playmakers. You know, you don't think they're going to have a quick game plan for you on the second level. I think the biggest difference in the game is when Cleveland and Pittsburgh play those fucking linebackers, for the uh, the Browns, they make plays. They trigger. They're fast downhill. They're into the depth bag in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, and I don't think they're as good on the back end as say a Cleveland. So, um, you know, in those games, like even against a backup quarterback this weekend, I worry about the outcome. I really do. I think you're gonna. I think Cincy can score fourteen, seventeen points, and on the road this year, the Steelers under Matt Canada now sixteen points a game. So we're going to have to see an improvement. It's not just one of these things where, like, we can fuck around this weekend and find out, you know, tinker with some stuff. They got to execute and adjust on the fly. They got to win this game. It was week six, apparently, against Tampa of last year. And Boswell says, it ain't because of you. And you're right. The fact that it's a kicker doing it. And apparently Roethlisberger talked about it on a podcast recently to kind of confirm the whole thing of it. I mean, this is... When I worked with Cannell, I mean, he treated <laughs> like, like kickers were like Jar Jar Binks as far yeah. as he was concerned. He yeah. just, by the way, an aside, did you ever hang out with a kicker socially? Greg Zerline could delete beers, man. Like, I, I'm not saying I called Greg and was like, hey, let's go out tonight. But if I was on the team plane, I'd walk up to his row and 
you know, we'd have a couple, uh, whatever it was back then, Bush lights or whatever. Now it's Miller light brought to you by Miller light. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, Zerline. Oh yeah. Punters, totally different ball game. Johnny Hecker, great hang. Um, Donnie Jones, all time hang dude. Donnie Jones looks like a guy that walked out of the, the link, like, and got a field pass and he's punting. I mean, the, it, he, he's just a beer drinking dude, regular guy. Punters are fucking cool, man. See, yeah, but that's still telling because it makes me think kickers aren't. Like if you were two, three years into the league, you know, a top pick, the lineage, you're a star, you know? I know yeah. once they moved you to the other side, you were a lot more productive. People got off your ass a little. That was nice. Yeah. That was before yeah, was I even nice. knew you. I was before I even of, knew you. I was like, speaking, but, nice. but like speaking of coordinators, like, you know, I think back my first couple of years, anytime I judge a rookie, I think about this. Okay. What's the scheme this guy's in? Who Who's he playing around? You know, like that's why what Aiden's done has been pretty damn impressive. Cause it's not like they have a bunch of guys there. Um, and for me, like I was playing in Spags' defense, you know, like watch George Karloftis during a game. He has a lot to worry about. You know, it's fires, fire zones. It's a six eye head up on the tight end. It's, you know, like try getting a pass rush from there. I'm playing on the right side. So, you know, I can say from experience, coordinator matters, context matters. And for these players in Pittsburgh, you never know who's going to end up looking really fucking good this weekend because they're featuring him or because they're putting him in better positions. I, I don't know. Like, I can't wait to see that. Last little thought on this, um, because I, I think it's good. If Is it football law, both the NFL and college, that the new coordinator is going to be aggressive and the guy that replaces him is going to simplify things? Is that the only path it can go? Like, as in, you know... <laughs> when like a guy I'm, gets hired, he's like, we're going to be aggressive on third down, we're going to be doing all this stuff... And then if that guy ever gets fired, the next guy will never say he's going to be aggressive. He simply says, we're going to simplify things. It's always, let's get back to basics. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's block and tackle. It's Matt Eberflus at the halftime of that Chargers game on that Sunday night game where I had the fucking bears and he's running in the tunnel and he's like, like, what kind of adjustments can you make? And he's like, we need to wrap and tackle. <laughs> it's like, that's what you say when shit is just, you know, hit the fan, right? And for some of these teams, that's legitimately what you need to get back to doing is simple shit, right? Like, I think Antonio Pierce breathed a sigh of relief into that, that program, and a lot of it was just simple shit. It was like the vibe, you know, like, hey, let's, let's not run I-formation so much. Like, you know, it's, maybe we don't need y Jakob Johnson. You know, like, maybe, maybe we need to give the ball a little bit more to Devontae. Maybe we need to pound the rock with Josh. Um, Sometimes it's like these offensive gurus, they outthink themselves, you know, and you get some of these defensive guys or these interim guys who have been watching and they have the luxury, their ego is not in whatever you were doing the last six months. Like, you know, when you're in it, it's just like you or me, when, when you're doing something, you think it's good, and it's not good. It's like a segment or it's a fucking bit. And you're like, this is really good. And you're like the last person that comes to the party to realize it sucks the producers are back there. Surudi's back there. Like this sucks, Ryan. If he becomes the interim head coach for a day, he's going to fix that because he, he's got the luxury of watching and just observing. So I think they have a really good vantage point to come in and fix the, the, 
the things that are wrong, right? I'm not saying fire Ryan, Ryan Rosillo. What I am saying is Saruti might have some ideas. Yeah, that's all fair. You make me think that something else could be in play, like moving forward, the future of the NFL is you just fire your coordinators at week 10 for vibe improvements. <laughs> you know, it's like, true, hey, though. We're nine and one, but we got to fight. We got to let you go. Well, it's it's like, damn, you know, when I thought I had the Giants, uh, the Giants and the uh, the Raiders dead to rights, I gave out the Giants on a lock. And I'm like, this is a bounce back spot. The whole thing. Now, I didn't know Dan's Danny Dimes is a, uh, ACL was going to explode. But um, then, you know, Pierce gets hired on a Wednesday. Every time this stuff happens, a team comes out and has more energy and it's a fresh start. I think what it also does is. It sends a message to a lot of guys that were either drafted by the coaches just got fired or had a standing on the team that like things will not be the same. Everybody is auditioning now. It's going to change. It has already started to change. And when a new coach comes in the in the facility, he's going to look at that tape and he's going to say, you know, who's busting their ass? And you should be anyways. But some guys need that little extra like, oh, shit, who's the new boss, man? And like, you know, when the boss comes into town, is he going to like what he sees on tape? So I think a lot of times you get the best out of guys when when the heat turns up like that. And we both are huge Antonio Pierce fans. So it's not Love even him. change. It's not the vibe. It's it's also him. He's and a coach. we were texting. We were texting before. And I go, I want this to work out as much as maybe anybody ever get a head coaching job in the NFL. So. And- and um, you know what's we'll funny? See. If if you remember this, you know, like we talk interim coaches all fucking day. I love this. But like you remember when Campbell was the Miami interim coach, right? And, you know, I was talking to Channing Crowder about this today. Like, because he was in Miami doing maybe media right after. And when he became the coach, guys were like, holy shit, we're doing Oklahoma drills. You know, like this guy. <laughs> and the public was probably like, who's this meatball? And, you know, the whole thing. And he had a good little run there in the beginning, like most do. Who would have thought, you know, a decade later, this guy would be back and he'd be one of the best coaches in the NFL. I mean, what he's doing is remarkable. So just because a guy's an interim coach or a special teams coach or hasn't been a coordinator, it is not just about being a, a, a play caller. Look at Brandon Staley. Okay. Guy's a good coach. That's how he got there. I mean, I, I I don't. I was critical of him the other night. I wouldn't say what Rex said, okay, because I think that's a little bit much. But like, when you get to be a head coach, it's not just about like the X's and O's, which, by the way, he's not been great at. It's about like managing the team, assessing risk, dictating matchups, greenlighting personnel moves. There's so much more involved in the job than just calling plays. So, my tangent is. They still don't know how to hire these fucking head coaches. And it's the it's the worst process for something that you invest so heavily in as an owner. Is that incredible to you? That that you're like, I have this billion dollar franchise and I am a 78-year-old man who didn't play football, and I'm gonna make the decision. Hey, look, you you asked me a question, so I'll answer it. And my answer is that it's no, it's not surprising. Because here's why. It is like the simple thing was me to say, of course, I can't believe they keep doing this, but there's something I've learned. I learned it a long time ago without even really realizing I was learning it is that if a guy like Brandon Staley comes in and talks over ownership's head where they're like, we don't even understand what he's talking about. He's so smart. We have to hire him. Okay. 
It's the same thing in business. Like, yeah. I don't know a ton about the tech world, but if I talk to a tech person, I end up always leaving going, God, that guy's really smart. But then I'm smart. like, I'm like, is he though? Or is he just talking so far over my head? Right. Like, there's actually a lot of tech guys that are idiots, yeah. but they have it down. I'm not yeah. saying that's Brandon Staley, but what I'm saying conversely to that is that Dan Campbell is not walking into that room with a billionaire owner and making the owner think that he's dumber than Dan Campbell. So right. that's why his whole meathead thing, rock eater, Neanderthal, like it reminds me a lot of Coach O with SC. When he took over at SC, that team immediately responded to him. Okay. Yeah. But he was in LA and it was a bit like, wait, this guy actually like thinks he's going to run the program. Like, right. get the fuck out of here. Like go back to Louisiana. Are you kidding me? And that's why I'm so happy for Coach O. And he actually got emotional with me in an interview once when we were talking about it. He's at LSU. He wins his title. Whatever. I don't care about the rest of the story. It's irrelevant to that he did not fit the persona and he was never going to be in a room where the decision makers were going to be blown away. Yeah. But yet Campbell, to me, there's some real parallels there with him where it's like normally this guy isn't allowed. He's not corporate enough, especially with the shift of, you know, look, the analytics thing is so overrated because it's like, oh, this guy really understands analytics. From what I can tell from the go chart on ESPN broadcast, that it's fourth and four, everybody's just supposed to go for it. Okay. Yes. And it's not personalized enough to the teams. It's not personalized to your O-line against their D-line. It's just fourth and four. Oh, you convert 42.8% of the time. So now we're in the go zone. And it's like, this shit isn't that complicated. And I don't even think it's tailored enough for any of that. But my answer is no, because I think historically through business, it reminds me of the dot-com bubble burst. And then years later, they had this ad. I don't know if it was a job website type thing, but it was hilarious because it was all of these old corporate dudes, like really old. And it was a bunch of younger dudes all dressed like snowboarders. And yeah. they basically, and the old guy's going, and you call it what? A, it's a website? <laughs> <laughs> and the young dudes are like, yeah, man. And the guys, the old guys making the decisions are like, pay them whatever they want. Like, yeah. it's just we don't know. Give them the keys because it's yeah, too we, complicated for me. It's too cool for me. And like these owners, man, like they don't, they're not football players. So they can't read the vibe. You know, I, I, I've advocated in the past for like, if I'm a franchise, I should have a panel of former players that is basically like my governing board, right? So if I get to hire a coach, I know it's my baby. It's I paid for the team, but it would be the smart decision. And I know that these owners have confidants and that sort of thing, but to have a process that you go through where you vet this through the eyes of a bunch of football people, and I know they have that, but sometimes those people are all in the building. They have agendas. They got there the same way. You got to have players sit in on this stuff because I can guarantee you some of these guys, their sticks, they don't fly. And you can see it from the minute they walk in the building and everybody who played can see it, right? Except for the people making the hires. And you know how it's going to go. And so Dan, you know, for instance, I think what's great about Dan is not to just make the whole podcast about blowing Dan, but I'll do it if I have to. Yeah, yeah I'm um, in. <laughs> but, but Rye, you know, it's, it's third and five or fourth and five or whatever in LA, they're in plus territory. They're like the analytics say go and all the, all the people with the paperwork, they're like, yeah, EPA, all this shit. Yeah. We love Dan Campbell now. And then they run out and they run trap. You know, it's like he marries <laughs> Neanderthal football with today's modern aggressive style and embracing analytics but you can still have that edge to it and be selective about when you go because of the context of the game and because of how cold it is 
or how rainy it is, or you have a guard down, or maybe, you know, you're getting your ass kicked in an area of the game. These numbers mean nothing today. And I think he has a grasp of all that stuff. That's why he's like a creative coach, you know? And by the, the way, best of it, everything. It always, I love what you said there too. This is awesome. Cause I'm not remotely dismissive of the numbers. I like looking them all up. I like looking at the next gen stuff on yeah. the throwing stuff. I mean, it's all incredibly valuable and helps you further tell the story of what you're trying to tell. And sometimes it tells you you're lying to yourself, but specific to the, should I go for it? Not go for it at times. I just don't think it's specific enough. I think it's too general. And it's really the one that always gets me is when the team has not moved the ball all day long. They get a PI to even get into the red zone. They figure out a way to get six. And then they're like, all right, what's the chart say? Let's go for two. And you're like, your quarterback isn't mobile. They have big corn. Like, don't go for two. I don't care that it's 51% of the time. It's too much. Too much is built into that formula in the in the ensuing answer. Like, you guys shouldn't be going for two. And I'm That's sure, a coach. I'm sure they have you know, contingencies for this stuff. And I, uh, somebody with a spreadsheet is going to be like, Chris Long's a fucking moron, but that's, what's going to happen. But that's no not question. what we're doing. Right. No, but like, I'm not saying like throw analytics out, but do no. you have a control for, you know, like a play caller, you know, not all play callers are equal. So, you know, you can look back at your two point conversion success rate, but if the guy's having a really bad game calling the game and it, the coordinator's, you know, outmatched and it, it's clear, like maybe take the kick and just move on. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I know. So Look, I could I'm rant about you, this stuff all day, but I know. And I, I feel like we went down that road too much without, it's just very clear to me. Like I like so much of the stuff. I like looking at how EPA is basically dragging Herbert into a grave. Yep. And you know, like this past week, the Lions game in particular, the drop against the Green Bay Packers and every other thing. And I go, I don't want to see it on social media anymore that he's some social media creation that people are enamored with his arms. This guy's awesome. He's really, really good because all the other elements of the game are bad, if not awful. All right, last thing, last thing. Because yeah. I know you got to run and I still have um, some stuff to do. Good. I want to commend you on the film work, grinding the tape, finding the burrow injury, explaining when it happened as we were anticipating the start of Thursday night football and then seeing this weird brace, which has turned into its other story. What is that like for you? Because I know you're probably looking for different things depending on matchups. There's probably guys you spend a little bit too much time on other guys like for football, for, like basketball, watching and tape. The second time I watch a play, I pretty much know everything I need to know. Football yeah. is like this endless maze of all the things you can look at. But when you notice the Burrow thing leading into his status, that was a that was like some real sleuthing, man. So well, just dude, give I us got, a quick got, answer on that. Well, yeah, I got kind of lucky. I just um, I was sitting there. I watched tape at night and like, you know me, I'm bad time manager. So like you get into these games and you said it like if you want to really know what's going on. That's why I respect the local guys because they know their teams as well as anybody. Right. Like better I'm than us. to do. Yeah, 32 teams. Like, I can't do them all. I, I watch every game, pretty, but, pretty you know, there's different degrees of watching all 22. And, you know, I had already watched that game. I saw him get off the bus. He's got a fucking brace on. So I'm like, well, dude, like, there's got to be an answer, right? Um, I look back and it's two plays in. I didn't even have to look long. He gets sandwiched between um, Orlando um, Brown and, you know, the rush. And he comes off and he's holding his his wrist, it looks like. And so, you know, it seems pretty clear to me that he got hurt in Houston or in Cincy playing Houston. Uh, and by the way, Grenard had a great game. He was in his lap all day. 
But the point is, it just was, it was wild to me because I found it and people didn't seem to be like, oh yeah, that's it. Like people generally weren't looking or I think the media in general didn't want to talk about it because it is a tough situation. Like I don't think the Bengals did anything wrong. Like, so if people are mad, like people get mad at things and they don't even think it through, like who should they be mad at and who's being wronged. The Bengals didn't fuck anybody over from a competitive standpoint. They weren't, you know, it didn't affect the outcome of the game. Uh, but what it does, it hurts the gamblers. So people are really upset about it. And the league over the last couple of years, there's no real comp to the last time something like this happened. I think this, the Steelers had an issue like this a couple of years ago. They got a fine. And it was kind of like, uh, like 50 grand or something. I'm, I don't know. But the point is now the way gambling has taken off, this is kind of a big deal because there's a lot of people putting $20 parlays down and betting the Bengals and that sort of thing. And I think that's where it gets hairy for the NFL. I think the NFL, judging by the media reaction and just the amount we've talked about it, I don't know if it's an email they sent out where we're like, we're not going to look back and see when it was, but I feel like people got the memo and, and we're just moving on because they're not going to punish these guys. I don't think so. Maybe if they do, they want to make it quiet. Um, I think it's probably more they get a stern talking to behind closed doors. But yeah, I mean, it, it does beg the question, if this thing was was pre-existing and ready to go, like, it's a really tough spot to be in for the, for the Bengals. Would they have rested him? You know, like, I don't know. Because um, that thing went early. You know, it didn't take long. And he sailed balls against Houston. You know, like that pick on the seam, like, I don't know, Sheldon Rankin's in his face, but that's not like him. It was great because it made me in preparation. I was like, all right, I'm looking for it. And then when you saw him on the sideline with Kaylee Hartung giving us the report and we got the video and she's like, he can't, he can't even throw the football. You can't throw the football. And you're like, okay, adjustment to my thoughts on Cincinnati moving forward. Uh, Chris Long, Greenlight Podcast. It is, I think, as good as any former athlete interviewing the current athletes. They had TJ Watt on recently. Uh, please subscribe and check out the Greenlight Pod on Spotify. Thanks, man. Thanks, dude. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required.
Life advice, email address is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. What is up, Kyle? What is up, Steve? And aside, happy 30th to Kyle. We didn't do it on Monday. That's kind of on brand for the show. Uh, our apologies. Um, all good. All good. I'm not a, I'm not a, it's my birthday, guys. I always tell Steve a couple years now, like, don't throw it in Slack. Don't do the whole thing. Um, so we're, we're all on the same page here. So that just carried over. I'm not trying to be a story topper here. But my birthday is actually tomorrow on Thanksgiving as well. And I also like thanks for the well wishes, but I don't want really I don't, I don't want to celebrate my birthday. I'm going to be 35. There's nothing to celebrate there. So <laughs> good times. 35. It's, good, it's not an even number, but it's like a good number. I don't it's know. a milestone number. That yeah, I, it definitely is. Right. I think that's the first time that I'm like, damn, my mom was over today and she was like 35. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I'm just like, damn, your mom's saying that you're old. That's a tough scene. Tough scene. So here we are. Do you guys have an age that you went, oh, my God? This one. Nope. <laughs> Literally this one. <laughs> 30, really? I didn't feel weird at 30. 35 is like, dude, what? I feel fine. I don't know. Yeah, 30, I felt nothing. 27 was tough. 27, okay. 27 yeah. was a weird one. Wasn't th like th nothing happened at 30, but there was, I don't know. I guess when I realized that a lot of the athletes we talk about now are like probably going to be on the younger end of me, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, they'll be 35s and they're like, they're around, but like a, a majority of the guys that we get excited about, it's like, you know, he's, he's 27. He's been in the league for like five years already. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's some math right there. So yeah, yeah 30, or, it wasn't 30, but it was when like the athletes that, you know, are in my purview are like, you know, a lot younger than me now. So that's been something. This joke has been done before, but like, you know, the, the announcer being like, yeah, you know, this, the, the wily old vet, he's still hanging on. I can't believe he's walking around at age 33 <laughs> and you're like, man, like we're just what are we supposed to just like go off and die on a hill somewhere i don't know what's happening so i feel great i mean certainly i you know my pickup you look great is as bad as it's ever been uh but you know i feel all right so but 35 was the like once you get past 30 31 32 33 then you're like oh man like this is this is actually because i remember just thinking that 35 year olds were old you know really old when i was even like 22 23 and now i'm like do i really feel that much different i guess i have a kid and things are definitely different but I don't feel like I'm I'm washed up. I don't think you're washed up, dude. Thanks, man. <laughs> Ryan gets mad at young guys who think they're old. He's, he's like, "What are you saying, dude? I'm still out there. You should be out there." Uh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate yeah, the I race for guys <laughs> to want to be old. You know, the number of times I remember being like in my late teens, and some guys like 26 is like, "Dude, I'm just getting old. I'm just getting old." And you're and like even it. I think 26 year olds love saying that though. They, I think they just love, oh <laughs> yeah. man, like, you know, the knees are, and it's not actually, your knees actually aren't that bad. Like, you don't even yeah, know what's you bad. You want to, yeah. Welcome to, you think your knees and back hurt now, asshole? Like, <laughs> yeah. give me a break. <laughs> you know, <laughs> try being on the shelf for a week because you put a sock on. All right. Yep. So I don't want to hear it. And if you're in your 20s telling people, oh, I'm just feeling old or whatever, like, and honestly, to me, the number never meant anything. It just was what my circumstances were at that time. And the 26 and the 27 shift was tough. We've covered it. Um, 40 was weird because I was by myself, but I didn't care. And then Sarah Walsh set up balloons. She, mm. she was like she, my neighbor and she just goes, wait, what? And then she was like, do you want to do something? And I was like, no, we're, we're good. I was like, I, and I was probably like taking a trip soon anyway. So I was like, I don't really. I don't really care. Um, so yeah, when you're single and you get older, you better not care about birthdays at all because nobody else does. Um, but 
Yeah, I love that you brought up the the young guy in the race to be old thing. And speaking of mm-hmm. the announcers, like like I think I might be older than Tyson Bajan's dad. Like forget being <laughs> older than every single player. Like I was hanging on there for a while where I think it was like Steve Nash. Like type into the old Google machine, see how old his dad is, that arm wrestling freak. So when I saw him and I was looking at him, I was like, dude, you're probably older than his dad is. Like, you know, because I was always hanging on to like Vinatieri still playing and Nash still playing. I was like, I'm still younger than everybody. But then at the same time, like with the announcer stuff, when a guy's like 35 and he dunks and the announcers lose their shit, and you're like, what do you think 35 is? The guy's 6'6". Six, six. He's a pro <laughs> right. athlete. Like, you think he's not touching fucking rim? Like, come on. This says we he was born in 76. Yeah, right? I'm one year older than his dad. Wow. Nice, man. <laughs> I could tell. I could tell. There's like something about him. I was like, I think I'm, I think I'm older than him. Okay, uh, let's get to the emails here. We got a, we got a big one here. I'm dating a messy Olympic athlete, 6'3", 200, 315 bench, 325 squat, 415 deadlift, lift four times a week, player comp, Isaac Okoro. Well, hopefully hmm. you're better health. Um, about a year ago, I met a retired female athlete. Let's call her Cindy. Uh, and began dating. She's dedicated, hardworking, loving, kind. She's expressed she would like to marry me, and I could see myself settling down with her, too. Here's the problem. She's messy and doesn't take care of her home. Before you think this is some misogynistic rant, I was raised in a progressive household and was taught to clean, cook, and do laundry from an early age. While I genuinely don't mind these chores and even love to cook, I'd love to have more of a partnership in these relationships. I work full-time in finance and was recently accepted to grad school. Okay, I'm going to leave out the the stuff that he's sharing, obviously, which I, I think he did specifically here. These are this is high level stuff, uh, and the school that he's going to be going did he say to. The, for did his he master's. give you the name of the athlete at all? Uh, he gave it to me, but I'm not sharing. It. Uh, yeah, no, I know. I'm just curious if you know. Okay. Yeah, we so currently live separate. <laughs> I know, I know. And then I get all these texts from people after the fact, being like, "Which athlete was it?" I know. Well, now that you asked, yeah, I kind of want to guess. Like, I have, I have. Something I don't. In mind, I don't. But- I don't tell anybody. I mean, I, I had, remember when we had the OnlyFans of the mm. athlete, the number of people that reached out to be like, will you tell me who it is? And I was like, we can't, we can't betray the trust. Uh, we currently live separately, but throughout the relationship, I've always cooked, cleaned up after, did laundry whenever we shared space. Although she's helpful, I'm the initiator of these activities. And sometimes I feel like I'm a butler. I'm used to keeping things reasonably tidy. Was previously married to a neat freak, so I've definitely become accustomed to a partner that's conscious of maintaining our domestic space. I cringe when she throws dirty clothes on the floor. Uh, her hamper's a small bucket. Chucks clean laundry on unreachable shelves and leaves food <laughs> rotting in her fridge for months. Yeah. Early in our relationship, she confessed she'd never used a vacuum. <laughs> this is This isn't good. As a result of this chaos, she's constantly losing things and can't find items in her apartment often looks like a bomb went off. When she comes over to my place, she doesn't clean up after herself and I have to follow up just to close t- doors and tighten bottle caps in her wake. Yeah, that sucks, dude. <laughs> in her defense, she's incredibly busy and successful. Uh, she recently lost a parent. Uh-oh. And has expressed a desire to be more attentive at home. She's tried to cook and clean, but it's rough. We've spoken about this, frankly, and I know she tries sometimes, but old habits die hard. She said we can just hire a maid, which I'm cool with, but what about the day-to-day chaos? To make matters even more pressing, she recently told me she's pregnant. Well, I'd like to raise the baby together as husband and wife. I don't know if I can reasonably cohabitate with this person. 
I know wait, she loves he, me. Wait, I wait, love wait, hold her. on. He like casually said like like it wasn't his. Like, oh, she's pregnant. Like, dude, you're pregnant like to, too, man. I'd like to <laughs> stick around, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't know. I want to see what it looks like and stuff. But <laughs> yeah, no, I I think the the assumption all of us should be making here is that he is the father. Um, but yeah, I mean that was a that was a real build, and then like a whole nother level. <laughs> I'd like to raise this child together. <laughs> that feels like you should I, I just don't that. know. Like, hey, I'm 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 about to have a kid with a really messy person. What do I do? You don't just drop that These in hampers a couple don't start uh, shaping up. I don't know. <laughs> so you're saying if you were like giving notes to a script, you'd be like, and then she's just pregnant out of nowhere. Well, that'd be a great right? t- twist in, I guess, a, a story. But man, it felt like the life advice would be like, I am. The headline is you are about to have a baby with someone who's messy. Yeah. Okay. Um, I Look, he, it's just an email. So yeah, yeah. let's let's. Uh, I know she loves me and I love her, but people often regress to their norm. And I've noticed her parents and siblings keep their space and personal affairs in a similar manner. She uh, she has a tendency to apply this careless approach to her personal appearance sometimes. Oh, that's a tough one. Right. I know I can be particular, but can this get better? Is she worth taking the leap? Any advice would be welcome. He includes picks. Yeah, I mean, she's. This is a good looking couple. You know who this person is. Uh, I'm not going to say if I do or don't because if I say I don't, then that, you know, whittles out a bunch of people. And if I say that, I know, so, uh, this is a really good looking couple. We'll just start there. And it seems like they both have incredibly accomplished lives at a very early time here. The easiest part of this is like, do you, are you so annoyed with that part that you're, going to stop being with someone that you love dearly like think that you've put up with this and now you talked about marriage and now on top of everything else you're going to have a kid i don't think there'll ever be an episode where i'm like man that's really messy yeah you know like just figure out alimony payments like i I will never do that okay because whenever it comes to any of this stuff it's always the kid first uh i'll tell you this and you're not going to want to hear it with a kid in the mix you think you know what messy is now Mm mm-hmm yeah, come over to it's my gonna house. Be, <laughs> it, it's going to be an entirely insane. different level. And as somebody who was uh, like, I don't know what it was for me, who was messy. And then I wasn't. I, I So it's not impossible. And now if I have people come over, I would say there's a tendency some members of the family are a little loose because my family was messy. And I, I, it's like to the point where if I had somebody over, I'd like apologize for it ahead of time. I could always blame kids because there was always a new kid and there was always like just stuff. There would always be that room that a bomb went off in because when you have kids, that's what happens. And I, it, there's no fixing it. Like I remember somebody was helping somebody else with like some decorating thing and they were like trying to do all these things. And we're like, hey, all, everything you're doing right here is is not kid friendly. Like this is a this is a fucking make-believe story that you're trying to tell with these <laughs> things that are going to be sitting on end tables and all these different deals like you've got to kid proof all of it um and so i was used to like not making the bed leaving clothes around all of the place do being awful with my laundry uh, the rotting food thing is is kind of a different tier on itself so yeah. i don't know that it's ever going to get better i eventually just really i think one time like in my early 30s I was like, do you guys want to come over to my place? And they were like, dude, there's shit on the couch. There's always stuff over there. And I was like, whoa. Oh. I'm like, so you guys would rather go somewhere else because they're like, dude, there's just never anywhere. It's Your apartment's set up for you and you alone. It's not set up for anyone else. Like you have a couch, but 
there's shit on it and there's and honestly my apartment sucks so that probably had more to do with it or everything else but they just called me messy and then i realized you know what like and i'm not always like the everything is not pristine all the time there's still stuff i would like to do but just having a clean house is so much better than not having a clean house like the people that can't be clean later in life i don't know how you never quite understand that so yeah it feels like a real problem but is the love like not strong enough? And now the fact that you're going to have a child with this person, like, does any of this really, I think you might just be annoyed as everyone who's in a marriage is probably annoyed with something the other person does. And for you, it's, it's going to be a messy house. <laughs> Sorry. Or a maid. Yeah. I think if we're just going to talk solutions here, I'd say definitely get the maid involved. I'm, I'm a, a reformed slob somewhat. My office goes through like two weeks. It like goes through like moon cycles where like it's uh, the office itself that I'm in right now, the one place I'm on camera, which uh, hopefully nobody could see outside of my little frame here. It gets pretty bad. I'm in between trips right now. So, you know, shit gets a little <laughs> hectic. But like I let that area happen and then I throw the headphones in and do it. My wife is less of a re reformed slob than me. We're working on it. We've talked about it. You know what I mean? But like at certain points, it's like, I mean, it's just like, how do you even think that loading the dish dishwasher like that is going to help? Like, it's like, do I, I noticed you, do you didn't put the stuff in the sink like you used to. Now you put them in the dishwasher, but it's backwards. It's like at a certain point, it's pick your battles, right? So I'm working on like, why would it, why would it facing the wall? Why would that bowl ever get clean? But anyway, I'm, I digress. I guess I'm just saying like, there's, there's things we've talked about it before. And, and she's like, yes, I understand. And then sometimes she gets defensive and it's like, well, I put your shoes, you know, I pick your shoes up from the living room and it's like, all right. Mm -hmm. So then like, if they get defensive, it's like, if they start getting defensive at all, you're not going to win. Your points are going to start bouncing off her. So basically what, what I've done now is we've, we've, there's a couple of things that we fixed. Um, and sometimes when I'm just like, she's in the living room and I'm in the kitchen and like, I don't know, shit's getting a little messy in there. Like I'll just knock over some pants and I'll just be like, God damn it. There's shit everywhere in here. Not to anyone in particular, but just to, you know, or to uh, one down. person in particular, because yeah. well, just kind of say like, it's like, you could tell when somebody's not talking to you, but they're frustrated talking to themselves sort of. So I'll do that. Uh, instead of like being like, do you see what's going on in there? Like, I'll just, I'll make it. So while I'm doing something like maybe, maybe I didn't actually knock over the pants, but I'll just move them around a little bit. And I'll be like, what the fuck? I can't find anything fucking plates or what? Like, I'll just, I'll say it to myself, but I know she could hear it. So that's another thing where you could just be like, you're getting frustrated in your life. And she knows that maybe, like instead of you like coming to her and be like, this is all fucked up. It's just she could see you struggling with it while you're actually cleaning it up. That might make her feel bad. Otherwise, I'd say do that. Couple bang some pots in between the the maids coming around. Uh, that's like terrible. Every two I'm weeks. Sorry. What? Kyle, what do you mean? That's just all you're doing is yelling at the person in another room. It, it's not. <laughs> well, I'm not yelling at the person. It's a little passive. passive you are. You are. Hey, yeah. no offense. No room I've seen for passive aggressiveness in relationships. You don't think so? I think when it's clear that the other person made a mess and the, the husband or boyfriend is in the other room going, look at all these fucking pots and pans all over the place. Like, you it's know, not that's a permanent that's direction at. Well, I'm not it's, saying look at it. I'm just like, I'm I'm trying to like clean it. But maybe while I'm cleaning, I knock over some shit because there's just so much shit in there. Maybe that's what I do. It's not a permanent solution. Uh, I, I've, I have done that. I've done the passive aggressive thing. But here's here's the other issue with this guy is well, one. Yeah, the question is, like, do you love this girl or not? If you love her, then that's part of a relationship. That's part of being married. That's part of 
you know, having a kid with somebody is like everyone's flawed. I mean, the idea that you that there's probably some stuff that she's like, hey, this guy doesn't do this well or whatever. And you're just I don't know if you're oblivious to it. You didn't put it in the email. Um, but like, you know, in, in our home, like I am a meticulous clothes folder. Like I like my things folded well. And my wife is terrible at folding clothes. And it pisses mm, me off all the same. time because I like my shirts to be like, if you fold them correctly, there's not a lot of wrinkles in them and you can just wear it. Um, and she's just she just doesn't know how to fold clothes. Over she's also, do you have the plastic thing that you fold it over? I don't know. I sure. can do it just freehand. And I'm, don't I'm need a, that. I am yes. a good <laughs> Where, clothes folder. Where'd you learn like, this? I'm the Michael Jordan. Because growing up in my house, like we did laundry from an early age. And I always liked my shirts like really crisp. And so how's her socks look? My wife does this weird thing with socks where like, I don't even know how she does it. Like, how is this one sock inside the other one? I do like, yeah, you, the, yeah, you fold them, bring them up, yeah, fold right. them back down. But I mean, that's she's doing do. something that's crazy. And so anyway, I, my, I feel wife, you. my wife is also really, really bad at like organizing how to put the dishwasher, like how to put dirty dishes in the dishwasher so that maximizes space. She's Buddy. just bad at it. But if I'm being honest, like I am, I am. I am one of those guys that like I'll wear a pair of sweatpants. And I'll just leave them on the floor for five days because they're not really dirty. You know, like I'll wear them again and I want to put them in the laundry yeah. basket because I'll just like wear them in a couple of days. And she gets really pissed off about that. That's just life, man. I don't I mean, I'm not we're not both of us aren't disgusting people, but we're probably equal level of like the little annoyances stuff. So I guess the question is, like, do you love this girl? And is this enough to 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 overlook? Because, it, you know, there is something to say, of like, if this is going to annoy you the rest of your life, like irrationally, then I wouldn't I wouldn't also recommend like just looking over this and just saying it'll, it'll get better because it won't. It's not going to get better. Like, I'm just going to tell you right now, she's not going to get better. So yeah, like, do you really want to keep score? If it, if you're like, do you really want to yeah. start keeping score? Because then shit might show up on your scorecard. You're like, oh, wow. Well, I, I don't want to address that. Yeah. Look, I feel for the guy in this one, because if he's on the cleaner side of things and she sounds like she's not just messy, it's like disaster. Yeah, the food thing is disgusting. I remember there Every, was a guy who uh, used to like store pizza boxes in his closet, like in a coat closet. One of my roommates, one of, or one of my old friend's roommates, that's what he would just hear. There was like five pizza boxes with like crusts in them in the closet. Enclosed? My, he Oof. opens up the closet. He's like, what the hell is this? And he was just like a weird... He just like didn't like to throw things away for whatever reason. Like that you're not growing out of, man. That's just like... That's just being weird. So if she's like that... That's a tough sell. I would I say, like, talk about it when you move in, but he said he's he's had frank, candid conversations with her about it, right? So that's kind of out. He's not, unless you just throw the baby and be like, all right, shit just got serious. But, like, I don't know. That's why I say start being passive-aggressive or go to therapy or something, man. I don't know. I mean, at this point, you said you've had many conversations. Um, I think the solution the, of being passive-aggressive is just not, that's not uh, a long-term. Yeah, don't it's be just gonna lead passive massive. aggressive with a pregnant wife or a pregnant yeah. girlfriend, right? That's probably not going to go over well. You're just going to uh, resent you're each just other. Gonna, you're just going to lead a massive arguments. I've seen it, okay? Where it's going to be like, oh, a little of this, then a little of that. And then it's like, okay, now like the volcano finally explodes because you're keeping track of all the different stuff. The biggest disconnect with anything, whether it's cleaning, whether it's like money stuff, like if there's one person that's really frugal, could be too frugal, but then the other person could be completely out of control with their spending. It's just a foreign language thing. Like she doesn't see what you see when clothes are on the floor. She doesn't see anything wrong. And for you, you can't stand it. And there's going to just be things that I don't know that can ever be communicated enough. I mean, people just bullshit and write a book and, oh, you can talk it all out. There's just some things you're never going to connect on. Like if you're dating somebody who is a shitty tipper, right? And you go like, why, why would you do that? Like, look, I talked to some of my buddies in their marriages about like the spending and whatever. And, and like, I've had a couple guys be like, you know, if you marry somebody, you better be making fucking money if somebody just has no concept of money. Right. Because yeah. you're going to be, you know, and some of the traditional stuff or whatever. And I know that as the man and a lot of the more 
you know, whatever the, the, the roles and accepted all this stuff is, but like you're busting your ass and you're out there and granted she's busting her ass at home and raising your family and all that stuff. So like who's winning the trade and all that stuff, but there's just going to be certain guys that are like, I'm getting this check every two weeks. And then it's like, where the hell's it going? And then you're yeah. like, Hey, and then, you know, if that person isn't good with money or never grew up with it or didn't have to be responsible about it or came from money, but you know, whatever, like whatever background story you want to give, you know, the, the guy can be just as bad, by the way, too. But like the person that's bad with money just sees money in the account as if it's available to be spent. And the person that doesn't think that way can't fathom the other person thinks that way. So the messy thing may just be the thing that you're going to ha- like, you're going to have to work on accepting it more than her having some revelation one day. And it, you know, like, again, I can't emphasize it enough that this the kid is only going to make it worse. Um, so we're not telling you to like, book a flight and leave the country or anything all right we did enough on that let's uh let's get to another Good one luck. first of all 57165 currently training for a one and a half hour marathon while getting my phd <laughs> so, sorry to the rest of us uh, apologies in advance if this is a little long it isn't it's a great email because i'm just telling you right now when it's multiple scrolls to get through it it's probably not going to be read my wife's grandpa has been active on Facebook since he retired about 10 years ago. He views it as a way to keep in touch with distant family members and former coworkers. However, as he's gotten older and started to show some signs of his age, telling you the same story multiple times in an evening while thinking each time is the first time or repeatedly calling family members the wrong name, his Facebook activity has become, to put it politely, erratic. Sounds in the last right. six-ish <laughs> months, he started commenting on pictures of my wife's and sister-in-law's friends calling them pretty and beautiful ah, just be somewhat normal if it weren't for the fact that he only comments on pictures where they're in swimsuits or wearing very little clothing in the past week he took another step by commenting sexy lady on a picture of one of my wife's bridesmaids <laughs> yeah. that she took for a modeling gig where she was wearing almost nothing is this harmless old man behavior is this something we should bring up to my in-laws none of the in-laws know this since they're not on facebook we only know because friends have sent us screenshots including some no. of those pictures he commented on looking forward to any suggestions uh from the crew he has so, joined the ranks of the old dudes on facebook it's he's he's in the army now that's what they do uh i've been off facebook for a while but that's just what they do they just give him compliments right he's not in the dms he's just sending he's leaving that right there for the world to see like they, they're usually they're not like well it's a good you. thing look actually it's better it's not dms because yeah, then you'd be like what the hell Although, but that's what i'm saying that's the classic move for the old guys it's like they just comment that, like it's not they don't actually think they have a chance but they just feel like they got to say something i don't know what the fuck it's about but old facebook dudes this is what they do very nice exclamation point <laughs> beautiful yeah, the, punct- the punctuation point. old for style old smiley face yes the punctuation for old people on social media is just like there needs to be you know those i forget what what uh what company is for but those those like commercials where it's like a guy coaching up older people oh, like yeah. how not to be your parents those are some of the funniest commercials that are around because they're yeah. so accurate and my wife and i constantly laugh at them um like a guy just randomly like at a hardware shop like giving somebody advice he's like you don't work here you nope. don't work here <laughs> he didn't uh, ask you <laughs> you didn't exactly um but like yeah like the punctuation stuff is incredible i think it, i feel like i feel like you know like when you're a, a certain age and it's like hey grandma can't drive anymore like it's like grandpa or grandma can't be on social media anymore. Like we just got to take away the keys, take away the password. That's what has to happen here. Cause this is, should it be a younger age than driving? Should you lose your Facebook access at an earlier age than you lose your driver's license? 
It depends, like, because it depends on where your mind's at. Some people can drive into their 90s and some people, you know, in their 60s are, are just kind of done. So it's just 60s. Kind of case not many by people case. are done driving, by the way. Some people, some people. I don't just also, oh, uh, No, actually, no. <laughs> What are you talking yes, about? You can't say 60. All right, yeah, whatever. I don't think I'm so. just you throwing out 60. Fine. I'm just, I'm not, it's not, unless it's you're not a drunk. Number. I don't think that, I don't think that needs to happen. 70s then. I don't know. You know, there's an age where like pe- some people, it happens to them younger. Some people are just sharp <laughs> into their 90s. Yeah. I mean, the other Ryan's thing is, just, Ryan's just worried because he's got a, he's got another decade or so before the licenses come into question. Before he's taking that I was wondering again. if anyone was going to say that and then Saruti <laughs> actually said it. That's not my frustration. It's just an absurd idea. This is actually getting back to where we started with the, the young age guy, thing, old like guy thinking thing. how old, like how old I thought 50 was at 20. And now I'm like, I don't know, whatever. And, but you saying you saying people lose 60. their licenses. Right, don't get hung up on the number. I'm just throwing out. I'm just throwing it out there. It happens sometimes earlier. Sometimes it's later for people. Sometimes yes, it is earlier. <laughs> but for the general purposes of this conversation, losing your license in your 60s is not the window. It okay, isn't the window. Fine, uh, I'll take the L. Look, as long as the girls are like cool sort of creeped i don't i'm starting to wonder look i'm starting with there's nothing more accurate than the white lotus season two grandfather mm-hmm. yes right imperioli's dad yeah. what did you say like what i'm just a sexual person or i'm a sexual being right, right. <laughs> i think he said being yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i i am i am starting to you know based on my research i think the horniest people in the world are like 70 or older guys i think they're just but let me ask you this. I, I don't get I, it. I thought that was supposed to happen when you were like 16. No, I think you're right. But I think that was also because we're, those guys are probably hornier than the average. Like, you know, now what's the, every statistic is like, you know, less, you know, millennials or Gen Z people are having sex. Like, I wonder if that's just yeah. like they were just in a time when like it was just OK to just say shit. And they're now they could do it in a public forum. That's more, that, that, you know, not, not even in person. They're doing it online. So I think that's some of it, I think, is like maybe they're slightly just like oblivious and losing their mind. But other is just like I just think old dudes like life was a little bit freer back then. I'm not saying it was for the better. It was just it was just more acceptable to just say shit to people. And it's not really acceptable now. And I think you realize as you get older, like you just can you can do more things and and, uh, you know stuff like people give you a little more leeway because you're an old guy i think at some point you know you understand that but for this i would say also they're not super savvy about things on on technology with stuff like if you blocked them you can just be like yeah i don't know what's i don't know what happened i don't know i thought you were off facebook like i can't find you anymore it's like it's just simple as that then he can't see your friends and and like you might just have to block them and tell them you're off facebook and boom might be that if he is not crossing the line though i mean look what what's crossing the line? I mean, if you're going to post a picture of yourself in a modeling shoot with no clothes on, there's going to be some stranger that's probably going to say something far worse than an yeah, old sure. guy saying, yeah. hey, sexy. So is it a little embarrassing? Yeah, um, it, it's not the greatest. But like as long as there's not like a real line crossing here. But I'm just telling you this part of what Saruti said, it, it's it's coming from a different time. But then it's also as you get older, not giving a fuck. OK, and I think there's a lot of stuff that happens with older men who just go, I don't give a shit about anything they're 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 thinking about all the losses you know they're probably thinking like how come i you know sometimes i'll think like hey i should have gone out more in college which is a stupid thing to say because i'll be bored on a friday in my 40s you know it's dumb like i wonder if i'm in a cabin in the woods in my 70s and like you know i should have just started firing more you know and it's like who gives a shit you know like it's just trying to project how you're going to feel in the future and then regretting how you felt with the mindset of a 70 year old as a 40 year old, like it's all pointless, pointless exercise and a waste of time. 
but I think we all agree that this lane of dude, I think is the horniest species on the planet. And they just, then they see it. They feel like they have to say something. And I don't think he thinks he's shooting his shot. I don't think he's like, cause there's other guys you clearly can see. Like, do you think this is actually going to happen for you? Like, I'll never forget. I was at a St. Jude's charity dinner. It was like a last minute thing. Actually, ESPN is really lame with it. They were like, hey, we have a table and a limo for you and the whole thing. It's because not one ESPN person wanted to actually sit at the table. So the table of St. Jude's that was paid for by ESPN was going to be empty. So they told me and my date like it was going to be this first class thing. And then we sat down at the table by ourselves. Oof. I'll never forget. Tariko came and sat with me and was like, <laughs> I yeah, told I you. for that gonna, one, huh? He's like, ah. <laughs> And then I was like, yeah. I was like, this is pretty lame that they would do this to me. And now I look like an asshole in front of my date. Because they were like, oh, you know, so-and-so's skipper's going to be there. Bob Iger's going to be there. Like, we're going to put you at that table with them. This is great. It's like, no, no, no. We're, we have no one available, so let's put Rosillo there because he's going to be dumb enough to say it. And it was, again, it was like the first year I was on Van Pelt show. I think it was like, oh, oh, nine. So, um, but I was, as I was mingling, and my date looked great, um, really attractive person, and this old guy wouldn't leave her alone. And because I was at St. Jude's, I knew I couldn't really, like, what am I going to do with this thing? Like, I can't Just puff your chest out. <laughs> I can't fucking lose it on this guy. But he was being like really fucked up about it. And then eventually I went to one of his other old guy friends. And all these guys are loaded, by the way. So they're always a blast to talk to, even if they're wrong. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, hey, like this is getting to the point of like, I'm going to end up doing something here. And they were like, hey, we know, we know. They were totally because the guy was the guy was out of control and my girlfriend was like really uncomfortable and was shitty and then he kept falling around and all this different stuff that's not happening right we're just talking about hey sexy looking great beautiful girls um yeah i don't i don't think it's i know what you're saying but i love the block thing too because there's no way he's going to figure it out he's just gonna be like what happened to missy yeah i blocked my grandma on instagram once in high school and we just she didn't even she brought it up when i moved out here like after college and I was like, oh, yeah, sorry. I think I must have posted something I didn't want you to see. Uh, yeah, let me just fix that. But like, she was like, oh, I thought you were just off. Or she was like, are you on Instagram? I'm like, yeah, aren't we like following each other? And she's like, no. So she had no idea about it. And like, I don't know, I unblocked her like like six years ago. But she was like, she was out of the game for like four years with me. She didn't even know she was typing things into the search bar on Twitter. That was actually a post, you know, like every once in a while, I'll see like just the word Bill Simmons. But she's trying to search, but she just tweets it. I will say not searching anything bad. I will say, Kyle and I, I think we do we I forget where where and if we had this discussion on the pod or not, but because Kyle, you were basically talking about how you wanted to limit the amount of social apps that you're on. And yeah. that like and I I don't like Facebook, but I have it's like a guilty pleasure for me. I just can't delete it because there's just too much good content on there. I don't post on there at all. But there's like, yeah, there's the family members that are just that just like don't understand Photoshop and they just fall for any little stupid thing, which is just highly entertaining. Um, and then there's also like the people you went to high school with that are just like trying to sell shit and like being weird online. I that like there's like a high that I get for like reading this stuff. I cannot quit Facebook, even though it's the dumbest place on the Internet. I love that story. I love that. I love that you admitted that you can't quit it. And but it's all for entertainment. You're not upset. You're not worked up. You're not freaking about some high school kid who has political leanings that you hate now. 
Cause like that's, right. we have a, we have a group of friends where there's a lot of like revisiting, like, oh, I can't believe so. I'm like, dude, you, I'm not interested in any of this. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not on it and I don't want to hear about it regurgitated back to me. Cause I can just guess he said this and you feel this way. And then you're upset. You don't like this or you can't believe, or you always knew deep down, whatever. Look to recap, old guys are horny. All right. Thanks to Saruti. <laughs> thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Cliff. A reminder, Friday's episode will be a Friday feedback mailbag. We're still rebranding that thing. Um, so we'll have a little something for you and the Alliance pick as well on Friday. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. The Ryan Russell Podcast, Ringer Spotify. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-800-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.